This is Bad Movies We Love, part of the Scheiss Podcast Network. Hello, everybody. I am your host, Nick Scheist. I'm back. I'm feeling better than I have in the last week or so. Still a little lingering in the sinuses, but I'm starting to sound normal. And as a result, I was able to record a new episode. So that means we've arrived at Season 2, Episode 7. And I was joined for this episode by a friend of the show. He is the host of The Perfect Show, and he's the co-host of Solutions from the Multiverse. He is Scott Maupin, and he brought to the table a movie that I think defines the parameters of this show pretty well. It is seemingly loved by audiences, but hated by critics. That is Martin Brest's 1998 movie about death, taxes, and love. It's Meet Joe Black. His hair is perfectly quaffed. But you're not living as a normal human. You're living as like prime time Brad Pitt. Joe Black is a dick. By the way, I seem like I don't even understand how to use spoons and forks and eat things. And then he gets bounced between like a passenger van and a taxi. Nobody ever punches anybody. This is the most toned down flaccid image of death oh boy wait a minute this movie is so white it's just so strange to see it coming out of his face he's like I can't kill you right now my girlfriend's watching so he gave him some shit about ruining his vacation capital T capital S the sex Well, thank you for joining me. We're doing a late night session, which I haven't done. Usually I'm recording in the afternoon, um, but I had to go back and watch the second half of Meet Joe Black this morning because I started it last night and it was, I don't know, like 830 and I was confident that mm-hmm. I'm going to get to the end of it. And, you know, it's not like a fast paced film at all. It's not exactly like the punchiest. So I kind of like laid down and I had gotten up uh, early. So I was, as soon as I commit to laying down, it's basically over at that point, but I made it to about an hour and a half and I was like, okay, I'm not going to make it the rest of the way. Let's stop it here. And I come back and I still have an hour and a half left. That's two whole movies that meet Joe Black is. (laughs) Yeah, well, and if you want to fall asleep, the movie will help you. It is soothing. It is beautiful. It's got lovely music that can just lull you right into a wonderful sleep state. I mean, if you're using it that way, it works. It works on that level, too. It does. But uh, yeah, I want to ask you, like, how are you doing? I haven't really like had the chance to sit down and talk to you face to face ever. I think the one time that you and I talked like one on one was 
in a Twitter space many mm-hmm. months ago before you joined the film club. So how are mm-hmm. you doing? Very much so. I'm doing well. Uh, thank you, Nick. How are you doing? I'm doing good too. I'm st- finally starting to feel better. My voice is kind of like in a more normal range. I can breathe through my nose, mm-hmm. which is nice. Uh, and I was actually listening to your perfect show episode on park golf today. Okay. And okay. I found it very interesting from a perspective of where that game comes from, you living in Japan, picking up that game, mm-hmm. and also really having like no exposure to golf like traditional golf before mm-hmm. becoming obsessed with this game. And then your journey that kind of brought you full circle back to golf and got you out there to play uh, an actual, was it nine hole round of golf? That you nine hole round. Time? Yep. I didn't go too ambitious, but just nine. Yeah. But a uh, very cool story. I was glad to, oh, thank you. to hear the details of it. And uh, this, the episode after that had started when I was driving over to see Renfield, but I haven't really got a chance to sit with that one yet. Right so. up. Ooh, hot take. How is Renfield? What's your, what's your, I mean, I liked it. I I mean, I love Nick Cage and he's great in it. Um, Mm -hmm. it's gory. Uh, so it gives you kind of like the bloody horror stuff that you would want from a Dracula movie, but it's not really a horror movie. It's a comedy. It's a dark comedy about their relationship between the two of them. And it was funny and enjoyable. I I thought that like it could have gone they could they could have steered it towards like being a serious like dark horror movie that has some mm-hmm. comedy in it but I think they wanted it to definitely stay in the realm of comedy and make it more accessible to a wider audience so well, how was the other Nicholas Nicholas Hout because I I now that he's out of the X Men ecosphere I like I mean I always like his other stuff that he's done most recently the menu and so I'm like all right yeah. I want to see what this guy's doing how's he how is he in it. He's good. He's very underrated because he was plugged into like those six X-Men films. It kind of like nerfed his ability to spread his wings. Um, did you ever see Warm Bodies? I have not seen Warm Bodies. No. Okay. So yeah, that's a zombie movie where his character is doing a lot of monologuing, but it's also from this place of it's like kind of a dark rom-com. So I okay. felt it was very interesting that this was another role that he selected to play this kind of like horror adjacent type of role in uh in something that's ultimately a comedy but okay. i like i like that he took it on he's good in it i want to see more of him i want to see him get uh some more opportunities to not necessarily be the lead but to have some meaty roles where he can really sink his teeth into it he's got a good knack for comedy yeah he seems like a fun character actor like if you use him right you can get you can get a lot out of him yeah, absolutely. So let's move on to the reason why we're Please. gathered here this evening. Um, the main event. Yeah, when you first approached me about this, we went uh, we went around for a while, circling, kind of looking at a bunch of different film titles. And this is one that kind of came out of left field. Of all the ones that you had brought to me and mm-hmm. had uh, suggested that we could look into, there was, I don't know, probably five or six of them where I'm like, I'm perfectly fine with any of those. And then at the last second, Brad Pitt picked up the phone and said, we're going to be doing Meet Joe Black. Uh And as I looked into it, I actually thought it ended up being maybe even a better example than some of the other movies I've done, which are not liked by critics or audiences for the most part. And I think this is the highest rated audience movie that I've done on the show so far. And I think that's actually a pretty good example of it being 
a bad movie we love because it has horrible critic scores. It's got like a 46 on Rotten Tomatoes, a 43 on Metacritic. So really, really bad critic scores, really good audience scores. <laughs> and I want you to tell me what it was that brought us to meet Joe Black. How did this one kind of circumvent all those other options and make its way to us? Well, I mean, the assignment of bad movie we love is tough because I'm like thinking in my head, I'm like, well, I mean, if I love it, it's not a bad movie. So you have to like try and think outside, like, what do I hear people kind of talk trash on or or like kind of deride now, especially years later, like people go like, eh, that's not that good or whatever. Uh, what is tarnished and not been that good. And I feel like Micho Black kind of gets a little bit of like people being like, yeah, you know, and or it's. It's not a, it wasn't a big like uh, crowd pleaser in a lot of ways. Like, there's, it takes a certain kind of like, you have to be in a certain mood to enjoy this movie, or you have to be a certain type of person, I think, to really like dig in and get into a meet Joe Black vibe. I feel it's rare. And so, when was the last time that you had seen this movie before? I mean, did you rewatch it for this? I did rewatch it. I rewatched it a couple days ago. And then before that, prior to that, it would have been, uh, I feel like it would have been about 20 years ago. I mean, at least I would, I watched it on DVD or on VHS probably, but DVD, uh, no, it was DVD for sure. Uh, and I watched it with my dad probably at some point and just had it on. It's one of those things where you watch it in chunks. Probably you don't just sit down and watch it. Uh, but I did see it in the theater. I remember seeing it originally in theaters and then, uh, visiting it a few times on dvd because i i really dug it i get into the beach Joe black vibe i'm i'm down so it was something that you liked initially in theaters and then went back mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. yep yep yeah. i was initially into it i was waiting for this movie actually hmm. because i was uh i had discovered martin breast because i was a scent of a woman head as some sort of like weird 13 year old that was my introduction to al pacino very first al pacino and i'm like wow look at this guy look at his energy and he is he's dialed up to 12 on that movie you know and he's that's where the kind of joke the the stereotype al pacino really originates in that cinema woman performance and uh and i loved it i was like way into it and and so i was like who is this director what's their next movie and martin breast takes his time and so Micho black was like four or five years later and when it when it was coming out i was ready i was like i want to see what the next from the mind of cinema woman or whatever however the trailer would say it i was there yeah oddly enough you know he went from cinema woman to this to then geely and that was the last movie that he's made and so it. i don't know if it was like he's he went like he hit he hit his peak and then was coming down or if people just didn't receive the following two movies in the same way. I mean, Geely took a beating from critics. It sure and did. It, Worse than meet Joe Black. It would. I mean, if I'm if I'm a person who spends five years making a thing and then everyone like yelled at me afterward when I tried to give it to you, they'd be, I'd be maybe be like, all right, man, I'm done. I'm fine. You could just go watch Midnight Run again. I don't know what it was going to tell you. <laughs> you know? It was a long time for me too between the last time I had seen Meet Joe Black mm -hmm. and this time. And it's not a movie I saw in theaters, but it's something that like when it was making its rounds on cable, mm -hmm. I would always pick it up and watch it. And it felt like something where I didn't quite realize it was three hours long, like in the past. So it's like maybe I had never like 
picked it up and watched it like from start to finish. I had watched like the first half and walked away or then watched the second half. Mm -hmm. And it's like, as I'm watching it, I'm like, okay, I remember, I know this movie. Um, but I didn't quite like realize like how slowly paced and how much it parcels out like all of its ideas over a long period of time. And I think I had a very different reaction to it this time than I did previously. And uh, Shauna had asked me like what I was watching. I told her it was Meet Joe Black. And she's like, oh, I love that movie. And I said, I'm feeling very differently than I did <laughs> when I watched this when I was in my 20s. And I'm glad that we're going to have the opportunity to talk about that. So I want to know how you felt about that, how how you felt about it in your 20s and today. But what you may have run into is I, I did a little research before this. There was a two hour cut that would be put on uh, airplanes and on cable. Mm. And there was a two hour cut that cut out a lot of the business back and forth and all the like business boardroom stuff and just had it trimmed down and martin Bress was like i don't like it pull my name from it have that be directed by alan smithy but there's a two-hour cut that may be what you saw and then you saw mm. this now for three hours you're like oh it feels like it uh takes a while longer to do yeah maybe there were some things that it's possible that i just glossed over at the age that I was. And I was like, this is not True. the part of the story that I'm interested in. Uh -huh. So give me back to, you know, Joe being death and trying to live life and, and that whole story. Um, but coming into it now and watching succession and loving it, I'm like, this is Logan Roy, except for like the nice guy. This is mm -hmm. like the good succession, except for Joe shows up. Uh, so very interesting parallels between the two of them, but we're going to talk about that in a minute. Uh, let me go ahead and grab the trailer because I don't remember how this movie was marketed at all. So I want to see Let's what see. it was like in 1998 trying to get people to see this movie and why critics maybe went into it with the wrong impression. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor, Many Flavors of Love Confectioners. If there's one thing in life that is certain, besides death and taxes is that there's a wide variety when it comes to flavors of love. Whether you're star-crossed lovers destined to meet a tragic end, or you're simply head over heels for someone you just met and know absolutely nothing about, Many Flavors of Love has all the bases covered. There's a number of classic flavors to choose from like Lady Marmalade, Oreo and Jelloette, Jack and Rose, I Carried a Watermelon, Summer Lovin', Saren Double Dippity, Taco Blanca, and Spoonful of Peanut Butter. Or you can browse their seemingly infinite selection and create your own everlasting flavor that's just right for you and that special someone. There are plenty of ways to tell your love story, but there's only one way to taste it. That's at Many Flavors of Love Confectioners. And now back to the show. All right. 65 years. Don't they go by in a blink? You trying to like flex on that cake? <laughs> you're dead. Yes? You're not dead, you're just a kid in a suit. The suit came with the body I took. You want me to be your guy? I wish to see the world. Mr. Parrish, will the gentleman be staying for dinner, sir? Yes. If I say who you are, I don't think anyone will stay there. Does your friend have a name? I'm sorry, this is Joe. Incidentally, Joe what? Black. Have we met? Ice 
from out of town. Let me ask your opinion. Do I blend in? This is crazy. <laughs> You're married, aren't you? The lighthearted. Gay. Very interesting peanut performance from Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. Mm. I thoroughly enjoy this peanut butter. Uh, this is Joe Black. He'll be joining us this morning. Our sole order of business today is an acceptance of John Bonacue's generous offer. You can build more of these delicious cookies. Mm, and a cup of tea with milk, please. Is there anything else, Mr. Black? You like him, don't you? May I kiss you? Why, yes. In this world, nothing is certain but death and taxes. Death and taxes? Yes. And it's tax day today. It is. Apropos. It won't be when I release this, but to the people that are listening, know that we did record this on tax day. You don't do a same day, same day turnaround, Nick? <laughs> I got to edit this for four okay. hours. Fine. I will say that fireworks display at the end was really something. Brad Pitt. I know is what I want. What I want is Susan. You're violating the laws of the universe. Anthony Hopkins. You're at the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong woman. Are you threatening me? Yeah, I certainly hope so. And Claire Forlani. I want to be with you, Joe. In a Martin Brest film. The time has come to tell you who I am. Joe, I'm afraid. What's going on, Joe? They lean heavy into the romance angle and not so far into the like old man Brad Pitt, like get ready for the end of your life angle or whatever. Yeah. And watching it now, I I felt like the romance was just kind of like forced into the movie because it's Brad Pitt. And mm -hmm. there's got to be like some love interest there because uh, I would imagine that the studio that's financing this understands that Brad Pitt is a draw for very particular reasons. Sure. And you want him to have that story in the film. Yep, I agree. I agree. If you're going to have Brad Pitt, you're going to use him for certain things uh, that especially like play to his wheelhouse, play to his strengths, have him be eating things. And they did that <laughs> several times. And he was probably more than happy to be like, oh, man, I have so many ideas for eating things, you know, and like <laughs> that have him be shirtless to have him be a romance thing, have him, you know, just kind of have things occurring to him. All these are things that he's really strong at. It's fun. His hair is perfectly quaffed. Oh. Like that one little like middle split on the bang never moves. So every time he goes into the chair for hair and makeup, they're like, no, we got to get that one piece <laughs> and put it right between the two other pieces. So it looks the same when we're reshooting this. Yeah, there's a there's kind of like this sub idea that death is like, well, I'll just, you know, take on the body of a human and then see what it's like to live on Earth as a human, like a normal human. And I'm like, but you're not living as a normal human. You're living as like prime time Brad Pitt. That's a that's an experience in life that only one person is going to have. And it's Brad Pitt. And it's not like anyone else. Like the the way you're like, well, what's Earth like? Well, you walk around and everybody's into you. Everyone likes you. And then you say, hey, would you like to leave your fiance and like, you know, just get romantic with me by the way i seem like i don't even understand how to use spoons and forks and eat things and the person is like yes of course immediately immediately i do yeah the one thing he forgets to take from uh brad pitt's human host is his personality <laughs> and so we get death who is essentially like a infinitely uh aged child like the way he interacts with the world. Mm -hmm. And I found that concept a lot more interesting this time around than I did 
previously like previously i was just kind of watching it like oh it's fun to watch like brad pitt just be like kind of dumb and aloof and just like mm -hmm. have all of these things just like fall into his lap so easily because he's brad pitt mm -hmm. but this time in watching it i'm like joe black is a dick <laughs> he's horrible like everything he does in this movie i'm like He's so ill intended for the vast majority of his time as a human that like I really had a tough time pulling for him and this love story that just kind of like pops up out of nowhere. And so every time uh, Anthony Hopkins has a chance to like say something to him, I'm like, finally, stand up for yourself. <laughs> well, and the hats off to the costuming department, because I think they have him that whole movie in clothes that are just slightly too large to just kind of emphasize this childish, like sort of like, I don't even know how to dress myself thing. And like, you know, thing, he just kind of walks around kind of like he's, he's a shrunken person. Cause he's just like, Oh, Hey. And it generates even more of that feeling that he's going for with just like this, everything's occurring to him. He's learning how to do everything for the first time. First time I've had peanut butter. First time I understand how to like hear hear any phrases or whatever it, it helps it helps add to it i think yeah and i i didn't even remember until i started the movie that he was a, a fully fledged person first in the story like the character that they introduce us to is like the brad pitt that we know like mm -hmm. he's charming he's funny like he's got all of the brad pitt wheels in motion and so of, mm -hmm. of course claire is falling in love with him because she's like yeah i'm married to this like hollow suit who really is like trying to undermine my father the whole time and i don't even right. know that but his energy is bad Total and so she energy. gets one smile from a dude at a coffee shop and like one joke and she's like oh my god i'm so in love with you that like my whole life is about to be ruined uh like and then i was thinking like okay doesn't he get like hit by a car or something in like crazy <laughs> comical fashion like it's it's going through all the steps of the traditional rom-com stuff that you would see mm -hmm. at that point with them and this extended walk away scene where they're beautiful both, people longingly right? gazing at each <laughs> other the music is perfect thomas newman is just ding tinkling the keys and it's just beautiful ah it's amazing yeah and then he gets bounced between like a passenger van and a taxi and it's just, oops. <laughs> it's one of the most abrupt tone changes of all time. I mean, it goes from like la-di-da, perfect. You, you want to be there. You want to be in this relationship. You want to be looking at these people. And then boom, boom, hit with car after car. He gets hit in the air, hit in the air. It's wild. And I I burst out laughing in the theater when it happened just because I was so unexpected. And I I was just like, wow, that I've never seen such a tone change. And it never comes back to that. Nobody ever punches anybody. This is a movie of conversations and like wa like and like pauses. And and this is just the only thing out of left field. It was so wild when I saw it. I love that part of it actually. Yeah, me too. I think laughter is the appropriate response there. I mean, it's kind of like an oh shit kind of laugh. Like, I can't believe that that just happened at this point in this movie. Mm -hmm. But as I'm thinking about it, when we get reintroduced to like Joe officially and he steps out from the shadows behind the bookshelf, he, it didn't look like he just got hit by a car. And I'm like, I imagine death has some like magic pixie dust that he can mm -hmm. sprinkle on a corpse and be like, okay, this is going to work for me. But we yeah. don't ever see that transition of like, oh, he recovered in some way. And 
mean, at the very end, like he's still showing no ill effects of getting hit by a car. He's just like, hey, I got mm-hmm. a second chance and I'm perfectly fine. Yep. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it worked out really well for that guy. The guy, the guy who got the actual Brad Pitt character worked out pretty well for him because he goes he's basically like, oh, I saw a hot lady. That's pretty cool. Gets hit by two cars. He probably doesn't remember anything until he wakes up at the. Like and the lady's already fallen for him. All the hard work has been done, and she's basically like, "Hey, I'd like to marry you and make you the uh, inheritor to a billion dollar fortune." <laughs> By the way, my dad just died, so that's kind of like our fortune now. So, how do you like this? And he's like, "Uh, I seem to have, I seem to have landed okay. I'm kind of confused, but I'm gonna roll with this. This is fine. You you need me to respond to the name Joe Black and not whatever my normal <laughs> name is, and I don't understand why that is. All right, fine, I'll do it for." Billions of dollars? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. No problem. I'm, I'm pretty sure he doesn't actually ever tell us his name either. We don't not, know. not even at the end. It's not like, oh, hi, I'm It's Peter. for sure not Joe Black. There's it's no definitely way. definitely not Joe. She doesn't call him Joe, but he nope. never corrects it and says, But he better oh, learn quick. He better. He's like, well, all right. Well, I guess if I'm Joe, I'm Joe. Like, I woke up. I've got a nice suit on. I'm at this really nice party. There's a beautiful mm-hmm. woman in front of me. You know what? Joe doesn't sound so bad. I don't remember <laughs> who I was before after, you know, getting hit by a couple of cars. <laughs> yeah. But you had mentioned the costuming, too. And when he first steps out uh, from, like, the study where there's kind of this, like, extended scene of Anthony Hopkins going through dialogue that's voiced mm-hmm. over by Anthony Hopkins. And yeah, I forgotten sudden, about that voiceover. Yeah. And so at first I was like, is that Brad Pitt? And then it's like, no, that's Hopkins. And then Brad Pitt steps out. And it's like, why was the voiceover Anthony Hopkins the whole time if... Brad Pitt was going to step out. And then when he does step out, I'm like, this is the most toned down, flaccid image of death that you could possibly imagine. He's got blonde highlights. He's wearing like an oversized beige suit. His tie isn't particularly like well fitted at that point. And even Anthony Hopkins has to tell him, he's like, you're not death. You're just some kid in a suit. Right. So I do like the juxtaposition of the idea of death is not what you think it looks like. And Mm -hmm. the end is never going to be what you think it looks like. And I really enjoy the sentiment of that. And that as one of the building blocks for the story, I find to be very interesting. And that leads into this concept of this thing that you don't know being more meaningful than you could maybe give it credit for because there's no way to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. I, and he's playing it with zero malice, it seems. Like he's just there. He's like, I'm just matter of fact. Like, this is what I am. This is what I it's not good or bad. It's just, it just is. And he's like trying to be as calm and sort of he's just doing a, he's got a whole thing that he's going for. And I think he's doing well with it, where he's just kind of like draining energy out of it and having that childlike sort of matter of factness where he's just like okay it's whatever uh but i like it it the whole movie is paced very slow and very calm and there are long stretches where the thomas newman score i'm imagining i'm watching it with this swelling music and these like strings and this really beautiful uh these chords and beautiful stuff and i'm imagining it without any of that and it's just like two people saying a very brief thing and they're just kind of standing next to each other for a while and then like 
walking off or something, you know, like it's, it's very minor and the music is doing a ton and the people are just kind of giving it space. And the other thing that's doing a ton is all the set design because it just looks gorgeous. And you're basically hanging out there in the garden of this guy's estate. And you're like, I'm okay with this. I'm okay hanging out here because it's beautiful and it looks nice. And there's like lovely lights everywhere and everyone looks wonderful and there's music playing and I want to just hang out here. If that's the assignment, I'll do it. I'll take it. I'll take you up on that. Yeah. And two things that you mentioned, one of them being the pacing of the film. I feel like it is intentional in its kind of slowness because death is a character that is not in a rush Mm -hmm. so this stuff like you know that anthony hopkins is gonna die and joe knows he's gonna die so they're really not in a rush to get to the end for any reason it's more about the journey and kind of like that end of life resolution and you had mentioned the score too. And yeah, the score does a ton of the emotional heavy lifting mm-hmm. in this film. Um, there's times where I felt like it almost seemed like it was too much in certain scenes because I'm like, wow, nothing's happening here. But the score is like going through these huge emotional swells of like, what am I supposed to be feeling here? Because it's like, it's like feel something. Yeah, feel they're just it. looking at each other. Like I, yeah. I, I can't accept that this is as emotional as you're trying to make me feel that it is. Mm-hmm. But I also found it very interesting that of all the people that death has encountered over, what does he say, eons and like multiply that by infinity, like death has been doing this literally forever. Mm -hmm. And the one person that he decides is worthy of showing him the value of human life happens to be a very rich, nice white man with a gorgeous daughter and... You know what? We're also in New York too, so we've got all that going on. Um, I just yeah. it very, very convenient that death happened to pick him to be the one. And he tells him, Oh, it's because like you lived a righteous life at the end. And it's like, I don't know about that, man. Like all of the people you encountered, like none of them lived a righteous enough life for them to show you the value of human life up until this guy. That's when I started thinking, like, hmm. I think Joe's kind of a dick. I think he did this intentionally. Like he obviously knows this guy is next up on my list. And then he can start scouting the family. He knew some secrets that Drew had that Drew didn't tell him. So he's got the whole play sheet going on behind the scenes. He knows what's up. He knows what he's walking into. It wasn't a coincidence that he happened to choose Anthony Hopkins character. Is it a uh, bill in this one? Yes, it's bill William Parrish, which, uh, IMDb was like it's his name is Will Parrish like he's going to die like get it they call him Bill (laughs) but yeah Bill Parrish yeah and and have you seen Westworld are you a watcher of Westworld I feel like a lot of that Westworld character is very similar to this guy where it's like he's like hi it's the end of my thing here's the culmination here's my legacy that's very important to me and that's 20 years later like I'm like wow Anthony Hopkins is reading as this age and just kind of pauses there and stays there and is still there now. I mean, he's older, but he still kind of reads as, Oh, the old man who would be retiring or worried about his legacy end of life stuff. You know? Yeah. You're talking about the man in black character in Westworld. Yeah. The, the original William or yeah, the original man in black, but the original, the original Anthony Hopkins where in season one, he's just like, 
oh, I'm always oh, that's right. About... He's the designer. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Completely forgot about it. It's been so long since I watched Westworld. I was like Anthony Hopkins. I'm like, oh yeah, that's yeah. right. He made he made Westworld in that. Show. Yeah, he's the guy. He's the he's like that's my legacy guy. Yeah. So since we're talking about uh, Anthony Hopkins, he's incredible. Like he always is. But yeah. in watching this, I realize how much the quality of a guy like Hopkins brings to this story. Like, I don't know that there's a lot of other actors that you can plug in and have the necessary, not just dynamic, but the kind of like gravitas to make Mm -hmm. you believe that this is a person of high esteem and high honor and high value and someone whose life is actually like worth something bigger than just the people like around him directly like because it is a lot about legacy and that whole moment in the boardroom where he decides like hey i'm not going to sell because of these reasons that are important like you know maybe jack nicholson or like one or two other people like have that kind of screen presence like in this era that could step in there and be that kind of person but hopkins does it with like such calm he doesn't really ever even when he's angry, doesn't ever really lose control. He mm-hmm. sometimes like uses a little bit of profanity here and there, but you can just tell it's not within the confines of the character to lose his cool like that on a regular basis. And I just, I thought it was really like a masterful performance from him. And I wondered if some, if some of the detractions from this film were looking at it, like, you know what, if you take Anthony Hopkins out of this, like it's a mess. Or if you don't have the star power of maybe Brad Pitt, it doesn't work either. So we're going to save that. We'll get to that at the end because I didn't want to like pre-spoil my brain with any of the negative reviews. I just saw the scores and I was like, you know what? That qualifies. So we'll get it into the conversation and then we'll look at what the critics really wanted to uh, whip out as their weapon of choice for this one. Uh, Okay. Okay. I'm excited. I have to ask the Jamaican accent. (laughs) <laughs> like all of a sudden, I mean, of all the things that are like completely disarming in this movie, mm-hmm. Brad Pitt just breaking into full on Jamaican mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. converse with a lady who recognizes him as a ghost. Or, yes. well, she she thinks he's like the evil spirit. I think it's Obeya. Um, right, right. And he has to calm her down. And listening to that whole speech, like I, I like I knew it happened, but. In seeing it recently, I'm like, what on earth were they thinking there? Like, <laughs> it's wild to watch. Yes. It is wild to watch. And Brevet doesn't even do a bad job with it. It's just no. so strange to see it coming out of his face. And I'm curious, like, how long he had to practice doing this? Uh, like, if it was ever something that they considered maybe just scrapping completely, being like, you know what? Like, this <laughs> isn't going to work in the context of the story we're telling here. So maybe we just shelf the Jamaican accent because they don't just go to it once. He meets the old lady in the hospital again, comes back. They dip, they double dip. Yeah. He double dip the Brad Pitt, double dip it in Jamaican sauce. And he's there at her bedside telling her a second time, like, Oh no, I'm not here to take you to the afterlife just yet. You know, I'm here with this doctor and I'm really glad that that lady too saw through his bullshit. And she's like, uh, uh, she's like, nah, you're messing, you're messing around with this stuff that you shouldn't be messing around with. You don't know what love is. She doesn't love you. She doesn't know you. And it was a very interesting uh, tonal teardown of 
rom-coms of the 90s for the most mm. part of that like the idea that like these two people could fall in love over something so small without any real knowledge of one another and just have it be this everlasting love and to to frame it where Brad Pitt's character is this kind of like childlike entity almost but with this eternal wisdom that makes him at least passable as an adult mm-hmm. and to get him into a relationship with this guy's daughter and to see her like so quickly pivot and be like, no, I'm in love with him. He's in love with me yet. We don't know each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it It's all like falling apart. And I'm really glad that like they put it into the writing that we need to let the audience know and to let Joe know that like, he's not correct in this situation. Right. Like in a normal rom-com, you're like sitting there rooting for the two beautiful people to get together. And in this one, they set it up so that you want to be like, no, 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 no. <laughs> we want you to get together and like smush faces once, but then we want you to kind of like be apart forever and long for each other or whatever. But yeah, the the Jamaican accent is wild. And I got to imagine that Pitt was like did did his homework and tried very hard because you see him pull another huge accent swing in snatch where he's doing the the pikey accent and by all accounts that he's doing a good job on that too but it's just the the 2023 like eyes looking back at that choice to be like ooh man a Jamaican accent out of Brad Pitt's mouth does not age that well and also this movie I I, I had a little bit of a panic attack when I was watching it with twenty twenty three eyes. At the very beginning, I'm looking at it. I go, "Oh boy, wait a minute! This movie is so white. Like this is, I'm like, I don't know if there are any people of color in this movie." And I'm go, "You know, I'm curious. I'm just gonna wait until I see how long it takes until someone talks because I know there's one. It's the Jamaican lady, mm-hmm. and there are three people who talk. People of color. One is the Jamaican lady." The other one is her granddaughter who's pushing her. And then the first one is a, a maid who just says, hello, Mr. Parrish, like as he's coming out. And that's it. Like it is it is not a diverse movie whatsoever. But it's wild that the one thing that they included is this huge Jamaican like back and forth with Brad Pitt. You know, uh, it, it I don't think that happens if you make this movie today. I don't think at all. Yeah, probably not. And even if you do want to have that character, like maybe you just strip out Brad Pitt, like meeting her in like her native tongue. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I have that scene pulled up right now and I (laughs) I want to bring it in because it's too it's too good not to. It's the first one of the two. So let me grab. Please. (laughs) Uh, All right. Let me see. We got that up. Yeah, there it is. No, mama. Will be a man. So she immediately like sees through die. his human skin. Mama, stop it. It's just a man. What, Sophia? Bad spirit. She just thought fever. She don't mean nothing. Please help us. Of course. No, be a sister. No devil, no duffy. Everything gonna be irie. Irie. <laughs> oh boy. Have you registered? No. Okay. And the way that she looks at him, like, uh. Where did that come from? And this is his love interest that still is like spooked by the fact that that just happened. Don't leave. Don't leave me. She'll be right back. 
And it's like he almost talked to the the older lady in order to ease her. Like he wanted to make her feel better by speaking to her like that. But then he also talked to the daughter, the daughter like that as well, or the granddaughter. Be evil, I not evil, And what you is then? I from that next place. You waiting here to take us? Like you the bus driver today? No man, I am holiday. No man. <laughs> so, so I'm on holiday. holiday. <laughs> oh. Pain. Pain. Bad. Bad. I don't have nothing to do with these things, you know. Make it go away. Doctor Lady. Yeah, it starts it to slip a little bit there when they push it too far. This pain. This pain got too on to me. Make it go away. I can't, sister. You can, mister. Take me to that next place. It's not your time now. Make it time. You can't fool the way things got to be. Please. Please euthanize me. And then we get that nice score flooding in here. He's like, I can't kill you right now. My girlfriend's watching. Right? She's going to be really freaked out if I just start speaking Jamaican. She comes back and you're dead. Yeah, I'm the only one standing here. <laughs> if you become a dead person, that's not going to get me closer to smooching her. I just, I don't know what to tell you. I'm sorry. And I just told your granddaughter you're going to be perfectly fine if you go with the doctor lady. And the one thing we wanted you to do, Joe, was just sit here and keep an eye on her. Make sure she didn't get anywhere in her wheelchair. <laughs> Don't let her die. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. I thought you meant, like, remove her from this life and guide her to the afterlife. Is that my bad? Oh, totally my bad. <laughs> That's not why you brought her to the hospital. You wanted me to ease her pain, man. <laughs> oh, Brad. I mean, he looks like a coroner there. He's like standing in a black suit in a hospital, like with his arms folded in front of him, just being like, I'm waiting, just waiting. Yeah, his, his presence is very uh, out of place, basically everywhere, because mm -hmm. he is so quiet, because he is so still. No matter where he goes, someone's asking, like, who the hell is this guy and why is he here? Yeah. But there's a point, too, where he like he kind of busts uh William Parrish's balls about his death. Like, don't he's like, don't make me kill you because it's gonna end my vacation early. Or he like something like that. So he gave him some shit about ruining his vacation. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's when I'm just like, he's such a dick sometimes. And I'm like, I don't know if they wanted it to come across like death is taking advantage of this situation like he's obviously like a omnipresent omniscient being so is it written from the perspective of a character that wants to take advantage of a situation that he can use or is it something where he's th this childlike entity where he's kind of oblivious to the harm that he's causing and to some of the distress that he's adding to this family that doesn't need to be there I feel like I read it as he's, you know, he's willfully trying to put on his people suit and do the people things. And he's not that he's kind of clumsy at it, but don't you dare make fun of him because if you do, he might just get mad and go, all right, well, screw the whole people thing. I'm just going to zap everyone and kill whoever I feel like. Boom, I'm out. Peace out. But, uh, and so he reminds William because he can sometimes just because he's like, hey, 
mind your P's and Q's. I can always zap you and and death time, you know, like I'm trying to do this thing. I know I'm bad at it or whatever, but I, you know, but meanwhile, he's making terror. Like William's right to be totally suspicious of him because he's just like, I just want to follow you around and do whatever. And William's like, okay. <laughs> and he's like, I've decided to take your daughter out of this world <laughs> at age 27. And uh, are we cool with that? And he's like, no, that's what I didn't want to happen. What are you doing? Yeah. Exactly. He's he walks in on him kissing his daughter goodbye mm-hmm. and without even turning around. He's like, Hi, Bill. He's like, Oh, so you knew I was watching? He's like, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what's been happening here? He's like, Oh yeah, I just fucked your daughter. What are you gonna do about it, old man? You're gonna mess with me, you're gonna die. So you're gonna let me do whatever I want. And so it's like this weird bully mentality of <laughs> also like an immature kind of like kid who has power doesn't quite know how to wield it uh in social situations and uses it as leverage very often throughout the film Mm -hmm. now now we got to talk about this sex scene because this sex scene is hot so hot i think this is (laughs) the perfect amount of like dialed between like sleazy and tasteful it, they got right martin breast got it right in the middle it's not too much it's not too little it's these beautiful people moving around well lit and like for my for my money for a while i was like i think this might be the best like love scene in a movie where it's just like okay you got it every everything looks beautiful everyone look like this looks like the sex you know cow capital T, capital S, the sex. And I like, very good. Good job, cinematographer, everyone. You got it. That's that's an amazing scene to me. I don't know. Maybe that there's, reveals too much. Well, there's not too many uh, sex scenes, lovemaking scenes in film that are shot like in daylight lighting. Mm-hmm. And this happens like right next to the pool by this huge like floor to ceiling window. So everybody, you know, could potentially see in if they wanted to. But like you said, it's very well lit. Um, it's just, it's almost like glistening in the way that they shoot it, and, mm-hmm. but it's not raunchy. It's not, nope. you know, it's, ten, it's tender. There is eye gazing. It's, it's very like wholesome almost. I don't know. It's, it's not, it's, that's the thing. I don't know. That's what you want on cinema, I guess, where you're not going to feel as weird sitting next to like your parents. If you're watching this. True. Like, ah. Yeah, it's not like, oh, there's not like gratuitous, like full frontal nudity or anything. No. So it's not like exploitative of the performers either in a way that, you know, here you have to show your body in order to convey the message of sex happening on screen. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, like with the current discourse that I see a lot on Twitter, on social media about like sex scenes, like shouldn't be in movies at all, that it's basically like porn at that point. I'm like that in what we saw in this movie is nowhere close to pornographic and you can imply quite a lot and you can have it be tasteful, even romantic. And I think like, you know, even with everything going on with Joe and his motivations and all that, it's still romantic, at least in the way that it's portrayed. Mm -hmm. But right after that's over, what does she tell him? I loved (laughs) making love with you. Because it's like making love with someone who's done it for the first time. And yes. she's so into that that she's like, I just fell in love with you because you you screwed me like a virgin. And it was so awesome. And I was like, mm, 
<laughs> He's like, did you see that. the way? Did you see the way I had no idea how to use a fork earlier? <laughs> and you were like, well, let's extend and make sure that this also happens in other areas and other departments too. Yeah, I don't think that Death was going to be too uh, well equipped to handle that situation, but whatever he did. It won her over, and she loved it, and yeah. it was all consensual and above board. So I yep. just thought that like that particular choice of dialogue after the lovemaking had ended was very interesting because was, I, do, I don't know if it's common for women to be like, oh, my God, you did that like you've never done it before, and this is such <laughs> a huge positive. Yeah, well, and she was so confident that that would land as a compliment for him that she was right? just like, let me tell you how, let me tell you how I experienced that. Like, you have no idea, <laughs> you have, like you have zero experience, sir. I, I would like to lay down that you have zero experience and just put that on front street and hopefully this will land well. And it did. I mean, he was just like, oh, excellent. Great. <laughs> He's like, yes, it was wonderful. I very, I very much enjoyed it myself. Thank you. And then the movie just rolls right along. <laughs> They're basically cosmically uh, linked at that point. But I also don't think there's like, there's no insistence of using a condom. From what I remember, there's no hesitation with any of that. She's just like, no, I'm, I'm full steam ahead with Joe right now. Like she's already made the decision yeah. that she's like, I'm, I'm into this. It doesn't matter. I don't know this guy literally at all. Like his name is complete <laughs> bullshit, but I'm just going to take it at face value. And someone then might be like, hey, aren't you engaged to someone? And she's like, yeah, but have you met that guy? Yeah. Like literally you hate him <laughs> as soon as you meet him. Like it's, it's immediate. He's, he's excellent. I, since you brought him up, we got to pivot. Yeah, Because please. he's so damn good in this movie. Drew, the um, character of Drew. Yeah. Uh, Jake Weber. Jake Weber. He was the, he was the husband on I want to say Medium. He was played Patricia Arquette's husband on that okay. show, and I love that show. Like for for the most part, like episodic TV shows, like I kind of gotten away from those. But I had got like Medium on DVD or something, and I just like watched all of the seasons of it. And okay, I, like, I love this show, and he was so good as like the attentive, caring husband on that show. But then in this, I'm like, he's such a magnificent prick <laughs> in this movie that like you can't like him in any way like even no. though his fiance is fooling around on him really without good justification at that <laughs> point it's still just like yeah he deserves it he's so smug you don't like him from the second that you meet him like you said and then you find out why and it only gets worse like each time you're introduced to him on camera it's like he's a bigger prick than he was the last time you saw him Right. And they do eventually justify why you should be feeling okay just not liking this guy. But I mean, for most of the movie, they're just like, all right, well, we just trust that you're not going to like this guy and that that's not going to be hard for you because we've made it very easy. So go ahead. <laughs> and, and, even, and you just don't. And even Anthony Hopkins, who is his boss and his fiance's dad, is mm -hmm. like, I don't like this guy. Yeah. He's he's like my number two businessman, but like he really is disapproving of his daughter for being engaged in that relationship. And rather than being like, hey, you should end it, he's just like, nah, I don't like it. He comes in, he's in charge of this whole boardroom full of people. And then as soon as they get a chance on the phone, they're all like, yeah, we don't like this guy either. Like everybody just doesn't like this guy. That's the conceit of the movie. And the movie's like, yeah, of course, that's one of the the things that's one of the reasons the movie works is because nobody likes this guy. <laughs> we don't know how he got to this 
position of influence, position of affluence, position of being a fiance. Like, how did he, what guy got him to that position? Because it wasn't the guy that we met when the movie opened. There's no way that guy is able to get everyone to like him enough to rise to that position. I don't know. Uh, there must have been something else. Well, it's like based on the way that they structured kind of like the social circle, it's like he probably went to the right school. So it's like, oh, he fits the bill of like these are like the boxes you got to tick to be in this social circle to date the daughter of the media mm -hmm. magnate. And like he's obviously very full of himself for all those reasons as well. And as Joe points out at some point, he's like, oh, well, you like cheated on your Latin exams and it got you to this point in your career. So like maybe pump the brakes on your uh, like righteous indignation there, bro. Yeah. He how do you like dim apples? That guy in, yeah. right in the boardroom. Mm. And then the other like primary character in the business world is Jeffrey Tambor playing Quince, who we all like because Jeffrey Tambor is great. But there is a line of dialogue in this movie that just happens. And then they're like, we're going <laughs> to we're going to say it on camera, but then we're going to pretend like he didn't just say that. And they're sitting around the dinner table and they're talking about kids and something comes up about, I think, someone having a little girl. And he's like, ooh, I love little girls. And his wife looks at him like, what? And then it's just like, uh, OK, uh, dessert service is here. And they never come back to that. And I'm like, why did they include this line about him being a, like a oh, secret pedophile? It's so just, bad. Was, it's so I bad. I wrote that away. down in my notes. I wrote it down. <laughs> I love little girls. I wrote tambor. I put three exclamation points. I, I couldn't remember when he showed up. I had forgotten he's in this. He is pulling a full Dr. Phil at this point. But like. Yes. Uh, when he shows up, I Mike, are we allowed to like Tambor? I can't remember what the status is on this guy. Is he okay or not? And then he drops the I love little girl line. And I'm like, Jeffrey, this is not, you should have enough sense to be like, can we rewrite this, please? Like, please, what are we doing? Yeah. And they just don't bring any attention to it the whole uh -huh. rest of the time. It, like, there. they don't even, they don't justify it with like, oh, like, you know, it sounds bad, but like I grew up like raising my nieces. Of course, I love little girls like there's just nothing. It just hangs there in this weird, awkward vacuum until the servants come into the room and like clear dinner service. And even the look his wife gives him is like, look, <laughs> we we buried the story about you being a pedophile. You're not supposed to bring that up again. And it's just like, oh, my goodness, I, I had forgotten that. For sure. That was not yes. something that stuck around when yeah. I was 20. And maybe it was one of the things they edited out when it made it to cable in that two I hope hour so. cut. I mean, if you're going to cut an hour out, cut, for sure, cut that out. Yeah, cut those four seconds out and just pretend like that conversation didn't happen at all. And his wife, we, we should probably mention, is Marsha Gay Harden. And she's great as well. Yep. Like that whole, that whole double, the jack or the drew the susan the character ever all those central characters who are basically the only ones we really need yeah. they're great yeah they're all great yeah i mean she's fantastic in this and i wish they actually would have dug more into the kind of like sibling rivalry dynamic mm -hmm. because she's always trying to please her dad she's always bending over backwards to make accommodations for dinner or whether it was the like the adornments that they were going to give to the guests at the birthday party and like the she's cakes. yeah she's breaking her back trying really really hard to like make everything perfect for him and he just kind of blows her off and is like oh no well it's the other one it's uh claire sorry that's not her character's name susan uh, yeah susan uh -huh. she's she's the favorite and 
Allison, Marsha Gay Harden's character, like acknowledges this. She knows it. There are moments in the film that like reference the dynamic of the relationship. But by the time that all of these things come to a head at the birthday party, you know, Anthony Hopkins has his big speech. He knows he's about to die. He goes up to Allison. He like gives her a hug, shakes her husband's hand. He's like, mm-hmm. I love you. And then he's like, now go away. I need to go have like the father daughter dance with my actual favorite daughter. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. I was like, he did it even at the end. I was like, what the fuck? I was like, that's so messed up. Like, they don't even yeah. take any time to address like what happened with mom and like maybe why she feels the the guilty urge to try to overly please her father or why she's jealous of her sister getting all the attention, even though she's the one doing all the work like I, I felt that that was like very fertile ground for the story to be told in, especially because they're his blood relatives. I think they're the only two blood relatives that he has mm-hmm. on screen. Sure. So it just it felt like they kind of like blew her character off. Like she was there to hit a couple of particular notes that she hits well, but they didn't like flesh it out enough so that it would actually like matter by the time that the movie ends, because like it doesn't have to even be his daughter. Like the way he treats her at the end, it's like that could just be mm-hmm. his secretary that's worked right. for all these years. Yeah, his right hand, his right hand like employee who had been so loyal forever. Sure. Well, yeah. and the stark contrast between like, well, our two daughters, these these sisters, and one's romantic involvement is Jeffrey Tambor, and the others is Brad freaking Pitt. <laughs> like prime, and you know, you just stick them next to each other, and you're like. Jeffrey Tambor, why aren't you Brad Pitt? And he's like, what? nobody's Brad Pitt. What do you want for me? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> how do you dare? How dare you? But even in the context of the relationships they have when we meet them is like, yeah, Jeffrey Tambor, like he's bald and he's overweight and he's got his mustache. And but he's so nice. He's supportive. very nice. But his character may also be a pedophile. So <laughs> what what they show us, at least on the surface, is that like he's nice. He's friendly. His looks don't matter, right? Mm -hmm. He's the exact opposite of Drew, who's a fucking smug prick, who wears a nice suit, who runs the boardroom, Mm -hmm. who has all of these other boxes checked, but just isn't a nice person. And that's very much on display the first time that uh, Joe gets introduced to the family at dinner. Like, Drew immediately doesn't like him. As soon as he finds out that, like, they ran into each other at the coffee shop before... This happened. He's like, no, I hate you already. And I'm going to just fucking shit on you every chance I get. To be my- fair, I would be insecure, too. I'd be yeah, like, I mean, my girl, okay, what? <laughs> you, you ran into this guy out there. Oh, interesting. Hmm, OK, yeah, I'm really thinking clearly right now. Don't worry about me. Mm-hmm. And oh, you just happen to be friends with her dad. And it's like this is the secret long lost boyfriend that like he's always like worried about in his insecure subconscious, like some guy from her childhood is going to come back that is just going to like kick yeah. him out of the picture and it's going to get him out of the inheritance circle and it's going to get him off the board. So, uh, yeah, I think a lot of like Drew's insecurities obviously surfaced yeah. in that moment, which is why he tries to always duel Joe intellectually. Like, he always tries to spar with him verbally, and he's always very sarcastic and demeaning to him. And Joe just, like, takes it with a smile the whole time because he's like, yeah, you're a fucking idiot. He's like, I know that. Just give me some cookies. Make your secretary give me some tea, please. uh, To be fair, you should identify pretty early on meeting Joe Black that sarcasm is not a thing to use on him because he is not going to pick up on it, and he's just going to go like, yes, I will take that. You're like, "Ah, ah." And then it puts you somewhere. But yeah, sarcasm, you're not going to use that on Joe Black because clearly he's not going to pick up. There's no way. 
for an entity that has existed for all eternity and has carried however many billions of people to the afterlife mm-hmm. throughout the course of his existence, sarcasm was not something he picked up along the no. way. <laughs> no, no, never, never once. He's not going to do it. And then he he kind of gives us a weird, uh, like anecdotal response to Anthony Hopkins, like questioning his duties as death where he's like when you're brushing your teeth in the morning you're not just brushing your teeth like you're thinking about other things and he's like well yeah that's basically me i'm here but meanwhile like i have like my my shell self out there just like handling death i think it would have been cooler i think there's some other movies that have done that too where it's like death takes a holiday where that's that is and this is supposed to be based on that and i was going to say there's a component to this other story when it's told in other ways where death is not happening for the chunk of time that it's in human form. And it's kind of like confronting the weirdness of like, oh, nobody can die now and no death is happening. And that's kind of messed up too. You know, you you think you want it until you get it. And then you're like, oh, wait, this is bad in a different direction, you know? Yeah. But, and Joe just kind of explains it away, like very yeah. flippantly, like, oh no, like I'm still killing people every day. Like this yeah. is just, this is like the physical me that's here with you. But all of the mind me, they're out there making sure that people die on schedule. Don't worry about that. Let's go. Let's go to this board meeting and give me some more of those cookies, Bill. He's like, dude, I'm taking people out left and right. Don't even worry about it. There's a, you know, a natural disaster over in this other part of the world. I'm just p- picking souls up right, right and left. I don't worry. I'm getting my numbers in. I'm getting my. He's meeting his quota. Reps. Yeah, I'm getting my reps in. I got my steps today. Don't worry. Yeah it it comes to a point in the film where like Anthony Hopkins is fed up. Like he's been told that he's going to die. He knows that's over the horizon, but Joe keeps moving the goalposts. And meanwhile, he's seducing his daughter and then convincing himself in the process that like, I don't even know that he thinks that he loves her. He says that he loves her, but he also says very explicitly, like she's what I want and like, I'm going to have what I want. And so, again, it goes back to this, like, very immature mindset of, like, a kid with power who's just like, no, I'm going to throw a fucking tantrum until I get what I want. And the tantrum in this case will be you dying early. So if you want your daughter to be taken care of and not have to be taken with me to this other world, like, you're going to give me the time to process this. And she still is like, yeah, I'll go with you wherever you want. And Anthony Hopkins, like, finally stands up to him, sees through his bullshit. He's like, you didn't tell her who you are. Like... And he he turns a line of dialogue about that eternity times infinity and beyond stuff. He turns that back yeah. on him and says, yeah. like, all of these things that you profess uh, that you think you know about love, it's all of that and more times eternity. Times and infinity like, to yeah. the bounds of forever. And then you'll still never understand it or something. Yeah, it's a great quote. It's a great yeah. quote. And so, like, the younger me was never, like, on Anthony Hopkins' path. But I think like I'm probably still closer to Brad Pitt's age in this movie, but I felt more in tune with Anthony Hopkins character this Mm -hmm. time. And so finally seeing him stand up to Joe and being like, you're full of shit. Like everything that you're telling me right now is just you're justifying all of your bad behavior. And you don't really know what love is because you've never told her who you are, where you're going or any of this. And Mm -hmm. it creates a moment in the film where this romance that they've been kind of feeding us and spoon feeding it like with very good visuals, good music. Like they want you to Mm -hmm. eat it up and you kind of are, even though it isn't right. 
and that the normal things that should happen in a romance like really just aren't there, you're still conditioned to respond a certain way as an audience. And so you kind of still want them to get together. And you're actually pulling for Joe in that moment to be like, I'm death. Like, even though it's going to sound crazy and having to justify that is going to be like a whole different conversation. You want him to have the moment of realization that coming clean is important and being honest is important. And that's going to get them over the hump to the next stage in their relationship. But when it comes down to it, Joe doesn't actually ever say anything. He just stares at her and she goes, you're, you're, and then, okay, like I can't even comprehend the person mm -hmm. that like you're telling me that you are, even though you're not telling me anything. You're okay. Well, you're just Joe Black then. And let me hug you. And I don't know what's going to happen now, but you've okay. You've established that you're deaf. And I was like, man, that is such a cop out for the journey that they took us on to get to that point and to not have the character of death actually have to acknowledge that like what he's been doing is wrong. He gets to bypass that and then just get forgiven on both sides and walk off into the afterlife. Yeah, they don't let her get any emotion other than just like a moment of fear and like this weird and then like it's overcome with, but I love you, I guess. So we're all good. And they don't get she doesn't get any range or, or depth or anything after that. They they really kind of rob her of that reaction because that's a place where you have such rich area. You'd be like, she could react any number of ways. But I feel like that way is almost the least genuine out of out of all the ones that you could have picked. Yeah, it's crazy. And Claire does like honestly as good of a job as you could possibly do in that situation. Sure. Claire Forlani, like because what they're telling us as the audience is that like he's communicating what he is just through the look, right? So mm -hmm. imagine she's gazing into eternity at that point and she's she's seeing the reality of it. She has to like try to find a way to make that palatable for the audience. And yeah. so we see that. But like you said, she doesn't show like real fear. Like she doesn't like burst out into madness or like really start crying. She just like falls back into him and is like, it's so much that she can't believe it. Mm -hmm. And so she just has to embrace the thing about him that she loved or the person that she thought he was. So I think she did a fairly good job with that. But like there's so many different ways that they could have handled that at, that I felt it was important to the character of death that they had given us at that point because like i said i just felt very differently towards joe this time and i was like man you're being a prick there's got to be some point where that breaks and like we're back on your side and they don't give it to us there they give it to us when he finally has his takedown of drew yes yeah because they've given us as as i didn't read it as a i mean Brad Pitt's magic still works on me. I, I got to admit, but I see them even maybe they put drew as the safety prick because they're like, well, even if you don't like Brad Pitt, you're going to dislike this guy. So when he yeah. takes him out, you're going to Brad Pitt's going to go up a few notches. At least is is he can't not true. Uh, Drew's Drew's being the like prick prime. And mm -hmm. then Brad, he, his Joe is more just like a selfish dick but this other guy is like very much an asshole the whole time yeah so like you said even even if you dislike some of what's going on with joe like your overpowering dislike of drew is just so overwhelming 
that it's like, you know what? Like, I don't care if she doesn't end up with Brad, but as long as she doesn't end up with this guy, because he's freaking yes. horrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Claire, do do yourself a favor, like meet more than two people and, and just see how that goes, you know, please. Because this guy's no good. And the other guy it has it has some problems, you know. But I guess I guess the happy ending they're supposed to leave us with is that they have an undeathified Brad Pitt from the coffee shop and they're going to drop him into this story. And they're like, all right, that are we good? Can we get out of this weirdness? And uh, everyone's happy. We've showed you some beautiful fireworks and we're good. And you're, you're kind of go like, okay, I guess so. The music sells me we can do it. Yeah. I think by combining that last moment with the showdown with drew in the office and the big like magic trick with the board that's listening in on the phone call, well, they have this conversation and you finally get Joe standing up to Drew, who's been very dismissive and very dick-like to him yeah. the entire film. He finally stands up to him and you, we're like, oh, my God, he's going to finally like really reveal the secret. He's going to tell him that he's death, which, you know, Drew may not believe anyway, unless he just leans in and like whispers something into his ear and we see it in his face. So. They they throw us another curveball there where it's like we're still not going to get that moment that we want, but they're going to tell us, oh, he's an IRS agent. And then now Bill is like scrambling like, oh, what? He's like, OK, oh, I didn't, I oh, didn't no. think we were going. This an all powerful like, agent from the IRS. <laughs> how, how could I ever? Oh, I'm undercover I'm, the whole time. I'm caught. I might as well confess immediately. Mm hmm. Uh, but you know, that's what villains do on TV. Of course. Just, or, hey, we got to tell you our whole plan. So that way, just in case anybody's listening, we get immediately caught. But I think that moment of redemption works enough in the takedown of Drew because it saves the business. It shows some grace and some respect towards Bill's character, which had kind of been fleeting there as he had put him off to the side as he chased this romance with his daughter. Mm -hmm. Like he wasn't there to really observe Bill's life anymore. He was there to hook up with uh, Susan. <laughs> and so it's like, like it, it, I've discovered something that I enjoy on earth. Okay. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it's way I'm better than it. hanging out with your old yeah. ass bill. He's like, I know you gave me a hundred dollars and just let me wander the city, but you're not going to believe this. She said, I did it like it was my first time. Pretty good. Huh? Pretty good. And they're like, that's not a compliment, Brad. He's like, Oh, Oh, I'm so sorry. Never mind. Uh... I like that. It comes to a head like that because, like you said, maybe what 15 minutes after that, we get to see them go off into not the sunset, but they go over the horizon, they cross this bridge that is literal and figurative Very, at oh, the yeah, same sure. time. Uh -huh. And then I don't know if like Hopkins' body just like collapses to the floor on the other side of that bridge and someone's going to go find him later, which is probably what's really going to happen. But then Joe's duty is over. So Joe has left and mm -hmm. We get new old Brad Pitt, Brad old Pitt. Brad Pitt, new yeah, old yeah, yeah. Brad Pitt is back, fresh off his head trauma from the car accident. Yep. No broken bones, no signs of bruising, no nothing. He's perfectly restored and he's wandering back over the bridge and he doesn't know where he is. Fireworks, fly, the music is blaring. He's coming back over looking gorgeous as always. And now we know, like now as an audience, we're like, oh, now we don't feel weird about it because he's a human human. He's not like a death human. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Go smooch, go smooch. The, the, it works so well. The reality of this moment is sort of lost on you for a minute where you go like, hold on, because I agree, there's got to be a body 
Anthony Hopkins' body, like it doesn't just vanish. He's not gone. His body dropped over there. And so what the reality is, is everyone at this party just watched because they were for sure watching the star of the party who's like the richest man in the world. Mm -hmm. They watched him and this other dude, this rando, walk across this bridge. Uh, Rich man's body is on the ground now. Rando walks (laughs) back all by himself. And then it's like, I don't remember anything that just happened to me. Uh, And they're like, okay, well, that's trauma-induced like amnesia, and we need to call the police right now. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like, this, This is not a happy ending if you, like, dig deep on it whatsoever. Like, there are problems throughout that are going to be happening for this poor young man who's just woken up in the middle of a like very odd scenario for him (laughs) yeah and best case scenario for susan is like well i got the body of brad pitt and the guy that i kind of liked you know a week ago but i've fallen in love with this other (laughs) thing that isn't this person and then okay well i mean you're still Brad Pitt. So like, I guess it's fine. Like if I got to learn to like, love you all over again, like it could be worse. Right. They have, they have sex a second <laughs> time and he like, is like, has normal like sex moves. And she was like, wait, whoa, 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 what happened? <laughs> what happened? How did you do that in between then and now? And he's like, I don't know what you're talking. Am I in trouble for this? And she's like, you're too good. I don't, I don't trust this anymore. He's like, I don't understand why this is a problem. <laughs> Yeah, all all very strange. And I like that it is packaged like this very pretty, complete, super happy ending. Even though like the more I think about it, I'm like, this isn't really like very who's who's it happy for? I mean, I guess like Brad, like his character gets a second shot at life and he just like wakes up. He's like, hey, my suit's nicer. Like I'm at a. You know, I'm at this great party. This girl that I had a crush on is right in front of me. Like some stuff must have been really happening in the last few days. But like, I don't know, like, but I'm going to go with it. But her like her dad is dead on the other side of that bridge. This guy in front of her is a stranger who does have at least more of a personality than Joe. But she fell in love with Joe's personality. So this isn't the guy anymore. Very, very strange. And I like I had a tough time wrapping my head around it but one of the final notes like in my sequence like while this was going on i'm like the music is so epic right now they're just like we're gonna just we're gonna pull at your heartstrings with the music we're not even gonna let you contemplate whether or not this is a good thing we're gonna guide your feelings because it's like hey we got brad pitt we got the girl they're together at the end and this is really what you always wanted the whole time anyway right this is what Mm -hmm. we showed you in the beginning that you were cheering for so it's kind of happening at the end so you should be happy so bump and fireworks and roll credits that's that 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 is their version of like we stuck the landing we got it the beautiful people are together that's all you need, guys. Are we good? I'm out. Bye. I mean, that's very Hollywood. And I didn't even realize it ends with that like uh, traditional Hawaiian song. I was like, the big Hawaiian dude doing a yeah, wonderful Izzy. world um, uh, yeah, somewhere like, over the rainbow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this movie doesn't take place in Hawaii. Why did they choose this song in particular? That's got to be something in the production notes that I'm going to have to dig into and find an answer to. And it's just peaceful and beautiful. They were I mean, like, it, it is. Let's do it. They did a flex by having the actual happy birthday song in there. And I looked, they had to credit it. It just went public to me, but they had to credit it to, you know, Mildred and Patty Hill because they actually put happy birthday. I'm like, oh, they're flexing, putting, they're paying for the actual happy birthday song. There was one thing of opulence that Anthony Hopkins showed that I'm watching 
with 2023 eyes and I'm like, oh, that's not a thing anymore. That doesn't even read as cool or rich anymore. And that's at some point he walks past his like big room and he's got eight TVs stuck in the wall, like eight (laughs) TVs that are kind of like, they're fine. They're not big TVs. They're the old tubes. I'm sure they were big for that day. But like, I'm sitting there going, oh, that's not even attractive anymore. Like the idea of having eight things playing simultaneously, that's too much. That doesn't work. I want... I want a big screen that I can like flip between stuff, but it, having eight things going simultaneously. And I go, what, what killed that idea? Cause that used to be like, Oh, it's such a baller. I have so many TVs. And I think it's when they invented browser tabs and they were mm. like, Oh, it's not cool to like have tiny windows anymore. It's cool to just have one window that you can flip between stuff. Cause I watched that. And I go, that doesn't even read as cool anymore. That reads as like just old version of cool. I don't know. Did you notice the TVs in the background or am I, am I weirdly focused on that? No, I didn't notice it honestly. Um, but now that I'm thinking about it, why did he even have all those TVs? Like they don't establish that he's like super into sports. Is he watching like, it's gotta security be like cam footage. Is he trying to watch like 12 different shows at once? Like, like you said, it's a weird flex to just be like, he's so rich that he has all these TVs. Mm-hmm. But what about his character to us says that he's watching all of these TVs at once for any given reason? I assume one's got to be like the stock market in New York. One's got to be like the one in Japan and one's got to be Europe. And they've he's got like all these world feeds in because he's such a baller with money or whatever but it's just it doesn't it seems like all right man spreadsheets you have spreadsheets on your wall okay good job <laughs> it's 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 not the flex anymore that i think it used to be yeah but, it went from that to like picture in picture and then now it's mm-hmm. just like oh yeah now you can just, just like, like have switch a big computer apps. monitor yeah yeah i got a big one that i'm working on right now and it's way better than having to like navigate all those tiny ones i'll tell you that but we're at, we're, at the, we're at the point in the show now where we've discussed a lot of what we want to talk about. Mm-hmm. And now we get to go to Critics Corner. And that's where we get to hear all of the horrible things that oh. the critics had to say about this. And there's actually some good ones on here. And let me see. There's four, eight, ten. So I'm going to pick half of them from across the spectrum and we're always going to start low to high. So we're going to go with the worst one first. Okay. I'm ready work and work our way up to the highest rated one. And then, then we'll go to closing thoughts after that. All right. Okay. So we're starting with Newsweek, and this, these are uh, Metacritic cumulative scores. So this is a 43. So you know that it's going to be overall pretty low, but Newsweek starts by giving it a zero. And the, oh, the, no. author, the author is not credited, which oh. sucks because I always like to read the author name of these reviews too, because it's like you should a take zero. responsibility for this. Yeah, a zero. This is only the second zero I've seen doing this show. I've seen <laughs> a lot of low scores, but I've only seen two zeros. <laughs> okay. How what what is he right behind that? Or is it just a zero and that's <laughs> that is out? The pull quote that we get for it is every once in a while a film comes along that's so inexplicably ghastly that there's just no point in making nice about it so this guy was just like nah i do not like this one whatsoever maybe he meant ghostly because like brad pitt's a ghost in this (laughs) no maybe he did but he still gave it a zero if he recognized hey this is ghostly but i'm not into spooky things so we're moving (laughs) on um Oh yeah, I, I wish I had a name for that because it's a Newsweek article, and I wish. Let me see. All right, well, before I move to the next one, that didn't help at box office. I'm sure. I'm sure, right? It, I know this you... is one where people went because it had the Star Wars 
trailer on it and that like gave oh. it a big bump but like people just would go watch the star wars show and then duck out i'm sure maybe that's why i went to see it in theaters and then i was like well i'm staying because i paid for a ticket and then i watched me joe black when i was like 19 or whatever were they from like the same studio or something because no. why why would they be like hey come to this trailer event that's going to be like a completely tonally different movie that has nothing to do with star wars like not even in the same don't know neighborhood let alone the same ballpark of films uh-uh it doesn't make a sense like it doesn't make a lot of sense to connect those two to me but that's what happened i guess they just put it on there hey man you never know the world is weird right. hollywood's even weirder let's go to number two that's a zero what, that's who's... a zero we'll, we'll go to the next lowest one which is a 20 and this okay. is the dallas observer gene oppenheimer right. says meet joe black takes an interesting idea Death assumes human form and comes to Earth to learn about human existence mm-hmm. and reduces it to a flat, uninspired, interminably slow movie. I mean, this is I true. Mean, it's definitely slow. <laughs> it's definitely slow, but <laughs> I mean, to say that it's flat, I think it doesn't appreciate the peaks in it, right? It does have some valleys, but it's got some peaks too. And the whole thing is not flat. I mean, you can look at Anthony Hopkins' performance, Cliff Orlani, even Brad Pitt. Did he watch Brad Pitt eat the peanut butter? I mean, give him the Oscar right there. He, he was discovering it. It was amazing. I thought for a second, how funny would it have been if death decides to experience life as a human and chokes to death on his first bite of peanut right. butter? <laughs> or he has a nut. Yeah, he has like a problem. And right. just like, I picked the wrong thing. Oh, no. I, p- I, picked, I picked the wrong some... guy. Oh, and this man. was 1998. It was before the popularity of nut allergies arose, right. but that would be something that would be considered if you're making Joe Black in a modern era. Yes, he keeps dying and coming back as different people try and <laughs> right? try to get Oops. it right. That different type of movie, very different. Different movie. type of different type of movie, but I think that would actually be a good concept for a comedy based around a similar Th- idea. This movie is people walking around slowly in evening <laughs> wear and, and staring good. at each other. Yeah. Yes, yes, but that's All the right. movie you're in for. That's the movie you're in for. Let's see. We got, you want to go TV Guide Magazine or LA Weekly? TV Guide. I never read LA Weekly. TV Guide Magazine. This is Maitland McDonough. Gave it a 50 out of 100. It doesn't pay to look too closely at this sumptuous fantasy. True. But if you're in the right mood to let it wash over you, it's very warm and fizzy indeed. I don't know if that's a typo. Yes, Maitland. Yes, Maitland. I don't know if that's a typo on the part of IMDb or of TV Guide magazine, but is it typically warm and fizzy, or is the saying warm and fuzzy? Warm and fuzzy. should be warm and fuzzy. All right. Well, warm and fizzy gives me a whole different identity to what this review could possibly be. But she's right. She's like, well, you know, it's slow, and it's kind of like its own vibe, but if you're in the mood for it, then it's right. And that's that's correct. I think that's correct. Don't think about it too much. Let the Hollywood magic do its thing, and you'll be fine. For sure. Yeah. All right, so now let's get up to... We got some friends in Toronto in the film club, so let's do the Globe and Mail from Toronto. And this is Rick Groin. It says, ultimately, the movie is a perfect mirror of its star. Looks great, seems empty. Ooh, but he gave it a 63 <laughs> out of 100. Fair. So, also yeah. fair. <laughs> also fair. But one of the nicer reviews is like, hey, this movie looks amazing, seems a little bit empty beyond how good it looks. I think that doesn't give enough credit to the depth of 
specifically Anthony Hopkins character, because he plays that with a lot of nuance. And it's like, you could look at Brad and you could look at the daughters and be like, well, yeah, she's like just this princess that like has everything and wants what she wants. And she's fighting with her dad because of it. And you look at the other daughter. And like I said, you can almost pass her off as like, she's an assistant. She's maybe not even a daughter by the time they interact at the end. Yeah. And so the one character of like real substance is Anthony Hopkins and he doesn't get top billing in this movie, which is surprising because Silence of the Lambs is what a few years before this, which just went yeah. best picture. Sure. And I get Brad Pitt has star power, but Brad Pitt is the supporting role, I think, almost. I I, I mean, I you could say he's the lead, but this no, is No, the I mean the Anthony Hopkins character is really the through line that we follow. Yes. You know, we follow him through his boardroom debacle through his family debacle through his like end of life thing that's he's really our through line i think he's the main character and yeah you're right pitt is pitt is supporting i guess that's but how i looked at he it doesn't because... even enter in for a long time we're we're without pitt for a good chunk of the movie while we just learn about anthony hopkins and his family structure and his whole life and all that stuff yeah i felt that like bill Parrish is not only like the story but he's also the heart and the compass of the story as well. And Brad is kind of just like an aimless toddler with a lot of power in certain situations. And we're going to come to the last one. It is the Chicago Sun-Times. So that means it's Roger Ebert. Okay. And he gave it a 75. Ooh, okay, Roger. Pretty good, you know. That's what, three out of four for him, right? Yeah. That's good on his scale. Uh, And it says, the movie contains elements that make it very good which it does. And a lot of the other uh, and a lot of other elements besides. What? The movie contains elements that make it very good. He's saying it's long. Okay, got very long. (laughs) I was like, yes, it does have a lot of other elements. Uh, And his final sentence is less is more. So I think he's he realizes that like the the highs of this movie are good. It's a very well made film. Mm -hmm. The performances are very good when they're dialed in and when they're focused on the performances. Like you said, mm-hmm. the, the score is fantastic. The set dressing is very good. The costuming is also very, pretty. very good. Yeah, everyone looks good. Every it's all, all the shots are beautiful. The sounds beautiful. Yeah, there's not a lot happening. But what is happening is happening very beautifully on all fronts. It hits all of like the high watermarks of a good Hollywood production. But it also cost ninety million dollars. Oh, I didn't know yeah, that. I didn't know that either. I was like, let me Ooh. look at let me look at it just to see because I was like, it because of the cast. And it looks lavish. Of, it does, and because of how it looks, like the setting, like the place that they're doing the location filming for the house and for the whole like final private beach party and all that. Mm-hmm. I was like, this has got to cost a pretty penny. I didn't think it was going to be ninety million, especially Ooh. in nineteen ninety eight, because that's yeah. humongous. That's almost as much as like Wow Wow West, which. I, I mean, it was like 110 million and like it was full of CGI. Yeah, I was going to say for a movie with literally zero special effects, uh, no explosions, nothing, no stunts, no nothing. I mean, like, not, where is that 90 million? Did they buy the famous, all the famous paintings? Because there were a ton of famous paintings just in the guy's house and he walks past and never acknowledges. He's not like, oh, you know, just some of the most famous paintings in the world behind me in my kitchen. But like, did they buy those? What? Where is that 90 million? That's crazy. It's like, do we want to do reproductions like and hire an artist? Like, nah, let's just rent the real ones from the museum. Like we got the money. And then you see it, I think, in that last shot of fireworks, it's like they're just raining down. So they spent whatever the leftover money was on fireworks to for that blow final it up. scene. Yeah, blow it up, blow it up. And in the U.S., it only grossed back 45-ish million, so mm-hmm. didn't do well. 
but worldwide it ends up at least making its money back made it about 150 worldwide so financially not a flop but not the resounding success that it should be considering the power players that are in it and yeah. the kind of money that went into making it as well and it doesn't really stick to anyone's career like anthony hopkins gangbusters going forward pit gangbusters going forward like it's not it's not nailing anybody really i mean i don't know what i don't i lost track of what claire flora forlani does after this but you know it doesn't feel like it it, it doesn't really stick to anyone it, which is weird for that yeah she's gone on to have like a long career but i was thinking the same thing watching it i was like what did she do after this that i would remember and the next thing was mystery men which it's a good movie, but also kind of like just lost in time Didn't for find me. Its like, groove, yeah, yeah, like it's a good. It kind of like had it come out kind of now when superhero films are like very saturated, it would be a very good film that pokes fun at that genre with these like quirky characters and like Ben Stiller's comedy working in the right. They'd have more to more to lampoon now Absolutely. because it's, they wouldn't have to explain like these are what the superheroes are. This is what a superhero villain is. You know, it's like, okay, we've all seen a million Marvel movies. Now we can just jump from there and go. I agree. And then, the, and then the next thing that she did that I really remember was probably the Medallion, the Jackie Chan movie, like, and that was hmm. early two thousands. Interesting. And then, other than, I mean, she's done a ton since this movie. Like, she didn't stop working at all. But the thing that I saw her in after this would probably be, uh, yeah, Mystery Men, and then the Medallion. Uh, okay. A couple years apart, so. Like you said, it didn't really like it's not like it ended her career or anything like Jeffrey Tambor obviously went on to do a lot after this. And I think Arrested Development came not too far mm -hmm. down the line after this. Marsha Gay Harden has gone on to have a great mm -hmm. career as well. The person that it affected the most is Martin Brest, who, yeah. you know, I don't know if like his confidence got shook after spending 90 million dollars doing this and like not having it be well received. Although looking at the audience scores, I think it has like an 80 one i want to say on rotten tomatoes well represented from the audience and then on imdb 7.2 so well within the range of movies that or well within the score that represents a movie that people like despite the critical score being so low and some of the other mm -hmm. films i've done on this show have been like this is like a three out of ten and the the critic score is like maybe slightly higher than that so like i've done some really really bad ones on this show and I wanted to do this one, actually, because of seeing how well it is scored by audiences versus the negative things that the critics had to say about it and why it's conglomerate or excuse me, it's cumulative score is so low. So maybe it's found its audience now in the in the years and the critics just never really came back around. Why, why would they come back around to like check it out again? But, you know, like maybe in the years since people have found it and been like, I dig this vibe, you know, like if I'm in the mood for this and put it on and just, it's a pleasant run in the background. You can run it in the background while you're doing a lot of stuff. It's three hours long. And, uh, and it's, you know, it's just, it sounds nice. You don't have to pay attention. Nobody's really like putting that much out there. Every, you just check in every so often. You're like, Oh, it's, it's still going on. It's good. Yeah, <laughs> I think and that's like, th this is also the 25th anniversary, not today, but this year is the 25th anniversary Perfect. of this film. And a lot that has changed in that time is that, you know, this was probably a movie that was made and went to Blockbuster, right? But if you don't read a newspaper, you're not going to see a, a critic's review for it. So now that we have access to the internet, 
and you see of like you're looking through maybe Brad Pitt films or you look at through mm-hmm. Anthony Hopkins films trying to like be a completionist. You see, oh, my God, like, what is this movie that I don't know about? Oh, it's got a four out of ten from critics, but oh, it has a seven from users. This movie has 250,000 user ratings on IMDb. That's crazy. It's a staggering amount of reviews for a film. And I think that has to at least in part be fueled by the negative critical the, the vibe, the word on the available. street. Yeah, that people are like, that's a bad movie. And you're like, really? I liked it. I, I liked it. Let me check it back out. And you're like, nope, I still like it. Yeah. I would say the vast majority of like just regular movie watchers are like, if I want to know about a movie, I'm going to check it out. And if you look it up, what are you going to see? You're going to see IMDb score. You're going to see a Rotten Tomato score. So it's like we're almost trained at this point to have that information preface to us before we even consume a film at this point. So it's very hard to stay away from. And I think like seeing those numbers there are like really staggering. That's a, this is a, a crazy high volume of users. That's a huge disparity. And yeah, wow. That's a lot of reviews. How many does a normal, like not a normal, but how, how, how many of some of your other ones had in that department? I mean, like something like Cool World, I think had like forty or fifty thousand, which is a lot oh, wow. still. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's a lot of people reviewing it, but I mean you're talking a quarter million people. Yeah, Cool World had twenty four thousand. Wow. So ten but times ten, as many people. Times. Not only ten times as many people watched <laughs> this movie, ten well, times as many people stopped and actually like rated it on IMDb. Like that's a huge number. Well, cool world, cool world. You don't really know what you're supposed to do, but meet Joe Black. That's the instru- the instructions are there in the title. You're <laughs> like, I gotta go meet Joe Black. Like yeah, the assignment is done. I know exactly what my task is. I gotta go meet Joe Black, and people obviously listened and obeyed. They did, and I'm glad to see that it at least has like support on one side of the equation. And I think it's a good examination of a film that is loved for the reasons that it's loved, and I think rightfully so. And it's maybe disliked by critics for reasons that are maybe justified as well. And that's what brought it to the table here. So I want to give you the opportunity well, to And first... I'll come clean. And I, I watched it again. And I messaged you afterward. I was like, oh, I don't know if I know what I was thinking with that. Because it did. <laughs> was like I was like, wow, it really is long and slow. Like, it's not. It, that's not. I'm not imagining that. It is just. It takes its time. And it doesn't do a lot. And I'm like, I, did I like this? How did I like this as a young man? But. It is. It's a jam that I'm into. Yeah, I'm definitely not opposed to long movies. And like you said, this movie kind of just has like a an energy to it. Like it's very warm. Uh, it's very welcoming. The score is very prominent as well. So it's something that is like constantly attacking your senses, trying to make you like pull for this movie where if that stuff was maybe not present, like if it was gritty and dirty and all these characters were like, you know, not rich white folks in a pretty environment. Yeah. I don't know that it unfolds the same way, even if everything else is exactly the same. Right. Right. Sure. So since you brought this to the table, first of all, thank you. But I also want to give you the opportunity to present any closing thoughts. You have like a closing argument to present for, why Joe Black is a movie that you love? No, I I was going to ask, is there a part where I I try to see if there are movies that are like this, that if I have seen or haven't seen? I I was listening to the last one, 
And yeah. I was trying to think of movies that kind of were in the same vibe of Joe Black. Go for it. And I was trying to think because I was like, oh, I'm gonna have to come up with something. But uh, I came up with two movies of like, like good-looking dum dums who are sort of like trying <laughs> to figure out the world as, and someone's trying to f- explain it to them. And the first one was Encino Man, and it's like ah, that's, that's a good it's, one. A very different vibe, but it's sort of the same structure where it's like, oh, this this person has to figure out how to work in the world. And then the second one also includes the music component. And I think Edward Scissorhands is kind of a, has a similar vibe where you're like, oh, this guy's very childlike figuring things out. The music does a lot of the heavy lifting. There's this weird romance where you're like, am I wanting this to happen? I don't know what's going on. But yeah, that those are my two that came to mind. Okay. Yeah, but closing thoughts. I like this movie. It doesn't. It it sounds nice. It's pleasant, and I want to be in the area, like hanging out at these parties. And and that's kind of enough for me. I enjoy Pitt's performance. I enjoy the main three performances a lot. Uh, and ha- and I'm I'm happy I revisited. I think even though it's a long movie, I was way into Martin Breast, and I was like, yeah, I got this at the right time, and it just stuck with me. And I'm I'm a fan. I love this movie. Yeah, I'm glad I rewatched it, too, because like I said, it'd been at least 10 years, if not closer to 15. And I was in a different place in my life in my mid 20s versus, you know, I'm approaching 40 now. So now, like I said, I'm closer to Anthony Hopkins character. And so to see not just the structure of the film, but the tone of his performance framed against the rest of the film, because everybody else, including Joe, basically like has their life in front of them. And Anthony Hopkins is the one guy who's looking down and he sees the end of the road. And Mm -hmm. so to see his performance, given all of that, while kind of like there's a huge celebration of life at the end while he's dying, I think it's very uh, tonally on point for Hopkins. And I mean, he's definitely one of the finest actors who's probably ever worked in the business. And I'm I'm glad to see that he's still doing stuff at like 80. I mean, when he did the father a couple years ago, it's like, he's still awesome. Like no matter what he does, he just touches it. And his energy is so strong. He's just one of those presents. Um, But at the beginning of the show, we talked about your podcast that I was listening to. Okay. And I want to let you tell the people that are going to listen to this show about the podcast rather than me telling them about it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, the one we talked about was called The Perfect Show, and I make that uh, very infrequently. In fact, I it's been a few months uh, since I've put one out, but I love that one a lot. But also, I make a weekly show called Solutions from the Multiverse, where my uh, I have a, a co-host who just has... He's just bursting with ideas. He's coming out with all these ideas diff- this place. And so we have a podcast where he brings me an idea, and I try and take it in and it's just quick weekly things that come out on Tuesday. And that that's a really fun one that is ongoing and has come out every week for, for several months now. So that's the one uh, I have a lot of people listening to the perfect show, but I, I don't have a lot of people knowing about solutions. So I want to show people because it's really fun too. And I, I think people will tune in if they tune in, they'll like it a lot. Yeah, I mean, you've been in the club for, I don't know, months now at this point. Like, I didn't even know you had another podcast yeah. besides The Perfect Show until you just told us about it like two days ago. I know. I'm, I keep stuff on the download sometimes too much. That's why That's why uh, this is great to be able to talk movies, which I will always gladly do. And then also be able to promote something uh, that I work on that I'm really proud of. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for your time because 
it is late, but we're both West Coasters. Yeah, so you're like my that. only other West Coaster in the film club. So I'm glad that we were able to find a time that works for both of us where we could chop it up about a movie in Micho Black that we both really liked a lot. I want to say that your comps as well are very good. Edward Scissorhands has a lot of parallels to this movie, including that he kind of like brings not necessarily death, but damage kind of wherever he goes with him. And Encino Man is another one where he's kind of like this immature man out of time and he's learning to be a human in this modern environment, but he's also very good looking and in shape and has the benefits of being like a Brad Pitt type as well. So I think both of those are excellent recommendations for someone who either hasn't seen Meet Joe Black or hasn't seen either of those two, but has seen Meet Joe Black. Mm-hmm. Very, very good. I'm going to put the links up for your show in the notes, but that Please. is the perfect show and solutions from the multiverse. That's right. And that's, that's right. every Tuesday. Uh, and other than that, man, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. You so gave me a fun. long list of movies and I know I have some other people scheduled to interview. I'm, I'm talking to Anthony in a couple of days, oh, um, nice. but you gave me a long list and a lot of those movies are not spoken for. So if you ever want to circle back and do another one of those, maybe legitimately bad movies <laughs> that has really, really bad scores on both sides. I'm always open to that as well. So uh, once once my schedule clears up a little bit, I'll reach back out to you. And if you want to come back in and uh, talk again, we can do that. No problem. Awesome, Nick. I'd love to do this again. That, this has been tons of fun. Thank you so much. Cool. Thank you so much, man. Have a good night and I'll talk you, to you soon. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks again to Scott for hanging out and challenging us with Meet Joe Black. I'm going to leave the details in the show notes, but make sure you check out his shows, Solutions from the Multiverse, and The Perfect Show. And my sincerest thanks to all of you who took the time to listen to this episode. I know your time is valuable and you have a lot of options when it comes to your podcast. So if you spent that time with us, I really do appreciate it. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can reach me at nick at com, or you can reach out to me at Bad Movies We Love on Twitter for the time being, and that's Bad Movies We Love with a L-U-V. This show is an extension of com, and the podcast is recorded, edited, mixed, produced right here in the home studio by yours truly. So until next time, stay safe, be well, and have fun no matter how you get your movies.